You're listening to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, recorded January 22nd, 2020. Episode 75, Can I Have a Word? Talking about word games. We review Sorcerer from White Wizard Games and have a ton of games we've played lately. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 75, Can I Have a Word with You? Talking about word games. From Hamilton, I'm Sean, and here with me, live and direct from Windsor, Ontario, the tabletop bellhop himself, Moti. I am the tabletop bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your game and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. Let me put my years of game playing, event organizing, and game night hosting to use for you. I'd like to welcome everyone in the lobby here on Twitch. We start live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Uh, tonight, we are talking about the best word games out there. I've also got a review of Sorcerer from White Wizard Games, and we got a ton of games to talk about in our weekend review due to Sean being down in Windsor this past weekend. Uh, this is going to include Big Trouble in Little China with an expansion, Terra Mystica, Gorinto, Azul Summer Pavilion, Lost Cities Rivals, Gokuku, Imhotep, and possibly something else I'm forgetting. We love interacting with our listeners and viewers. Each week, we're going to highlight some of our interactions with you fine folk. We'll share some feedback we received, comments on our content, and maybe some gaming discussions we've been part of online. We want to share what people are saying, both positive and negative. We get better with your comments and suggestions. And if you'd like to let us know something about the show, send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com and or sean at tabletopbellhop.com. That's S-E-A-N. You can also hit us up on social media, where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. And I can be found as Dark Elf LX. First up, a few game recommendations in reply to our best games you can get for under 50 bucks. The Arquette Sisters say Lords of Waterdeep, Terraforming Mars, and Red 7. Thanks, Arquette Sisters. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep's a perfect one. MSRP's $49.99. Like, it's right at that limit. That is a great suggestion. I'm not sure how I missed that one. Uh, during that episode, actually, because that's that's a perfect price point for that game. Plus, you can often get it even better than that. But even at full price, great call. Uh, Terraforming Mars, if you can find it under 50, great. Uh, it's a $70 game US, so good luck on that one. But right now, it is on sale on Amazon, so it counts. Uh, Red 7, though, that's a little too cheap for my list. And I mentioned this the last episode we were talking to feedback, where people were talking about buying Powered by the Apocalypse RPGs. What I was trying to do was the Price is Right thing. I was trying to get as close to 50 bucks without going over just because like there wasn't a real reason for it but i was trying to like the most bang for your buck is what i was trying to go for but for 50 bucks you could get red seven and then toss in a copy of the mind or the game or some other card game and be pretty happy all right on the same topic drew sanderson writes i've heard that Shadowrun 6e is a real letdown riddled with errors and some information simply not in the rules mm -hmm. which is fine if you've played the game before but a real problem if you haven't well thanks for the comment drew uh, the new Shadowrun Beginner Box was one of my recommendations that episode. So one of the under 50 things. I threw on five RPGs at the bottom of the list just to cover all types of gamers. Now, what Drew says here... I know is 100% true for the 5th edition starter set. I did a review of that. You can find it on the blog under reviews, or if you search Shadowrun, it's probably the only time I talk about Shadowrun on the blog. And I found that, yes, indeed, it was missing a ton of information and really seemed like it was designed for people who already knew Shadowrun, which to me doesn't make any sense for a starter set. Now, I've personally heard from other people that the Sixth World set is much better and fixes a lot of those problems, but I can't confirm that yet. 
Now, I do have a, pro a copy of the 6th edition set in my pile of obligation, so I do look forward to checking it out sometime soon and finding out for sure if they've done a better job this time around. Next, a comment on our podcast about licensed games. Kalestad writes, I played through a first iteration of X-Wing and thought it was amazing. My group has also played through many of the Imperial Assault campaigns. Well, thanks for the comment, Kalestad. Uh, I'm a big fan of everything. Well, not everything, but just in general, what Fantasy Flight has done with the Star Wars license. Out of all the games they put out, I think the only one I just didn't get into was the Living Card Game. But I'm not a big Living Card Game player in the first place, so that doesn't really surprise me. But like almost everything they've done with that license has been fantastic. Walt Blog also commented on this post to say, I'm really surprised Dune isn't in here. It was good enough to get a reprint after several decades and is remarkably well designed. The theme is integrated well, but isn't necessary, and honestly is just fun to play with a group. Definitely thinks it deserves a spot on this list. Well, thanks, Walt. Uh, there's one reason and one reason alone Dune is not on my list of great licensed games, and that's because I haven't played it. Uh, that game was one of the biggest Grail games out there, next to Queen's Gambit, the, the old Star Wars Episode One game. The game was impossible to find for, like, under 300 bucks, like, trying to find it for a reasonable price. And now, yes, it's back, um, but I haven't had a chance to play it. Now, I tried to get a copy at Origins 2019, but that was actually the premiere of it. Uh, and they weren't selling copies, like they were just showing it off. So it didn't actually come out until Gen Con 2019. I didn't get the Gen Con, so at this point I just haven't had a chance to pick it up. Now, one of my plans for 2020 is to go to Origins, and I do plan to hit up that Gale Force 9 booth, and I think, along with the Tyrants of the Underdark expansion, I'm going to be looking to see if I can bring home a copy of Dune. When I do, then maybe I'll update that list. Next, a quick comment on our box inserts worth it, our, on our... On our are box inserts worth it? Yes. Article. <laughs> Steve Schroberger, uh, Schoenberger asks, says, I had never heard of box inserts before reading this art. This nice article. Well, thanks, Steve. Uh, I got to admit, the box inserts are something like now they're ubiquitous to most of us gamers. We've all heard about them. But I remember seeing them years ago, and I couldn't even tell you how many years ago, but like going back as far as like 2002. Seeing people make them on Board Game Geek and showing off their patterns. Here's what I did with my version of Kalis, and here's what I did to store the hex tiles in Catan. It's still pretty new that there's companies out there that are making them their main business, right? The Meeple Realties, the Folded Space, that's a new thing to me. But box inserts in general have kind of always been part of the hobby, but it was more like the hobbyists did it, right? The people who took the games a little more seriously. It's just like the, the war game players who use counter cutters, which is still something that's a little foreign to me. Our five-player game recommendations topic continues to get feedback. Charles Depenti says, Other five great player, other great five-player games, Dogs of War, I will only play with five, Game of Thrones, the board game. All right, thanks for the recommendations, Charles. Uh, we'll be sure to toss both of those in the show notes this week. Next, a comment from our latest Gloomhaven actual play video on YouTube. Rick Alvarado says, Six says, your setup layout looks great for everything except the lack of visual on the two cards played per person's turn. I would suggest having each player bring them into frame on their turn, even if it's just only for a second somehow, and just stating the name of the card rather than attack three, range three. Uh, thanks for the feedback, Rick. Um, getting people used to saying what cards they are playing is something I've been trying to push, trying to get the whole group to do. I first noticed that we weren't doing it when I did the solo play, when I was playing the Saw character, and I was like, whenever I'm streaming just by myself, I try to, you know, you're always trying to talk, right? You're trying to a constant stream of 
thought while you're playing so that people aren't just watching nothing and hearing nothing. When there's four of us at the table, there's usually banter and talk going on. So when it was just me, I'm like, oh, I know what I can fill the void with is to point out which cards I'm using. And it was after that I got a lot of feedback saying, oh, thanks for mentioning what cards you're using. So I've been trying to push it, and I know even I'm bad at it. We, we're getting better at the beginning where... Uh, at the beginning of the show, we, we do it and then we slip, right? After a couple turns, we, we start to forget. So it's something I'm going to keep pushing. Now, as for putting the cards in camera, that is something we've been talking about. We talked about it last Friday when we live streamed. Now, we didn't play Gloomhaven, but we talked about it with the group. Uh, with our new layout, with the new zoom in, and we might be able to find a spot on the mat. Where, uh, we'll give it a try next team. We haven't quite figured out the logistics of it, but I think it's something we can pull off. What I'd love to do is get a second camera down there. And have that so we can just throw the cards under it. But right now, the laptop we use to broadcast, just there, there's no way it could handle throwing another camera down there. So until we get the money to, to throw a PC down there or something to improve it, we'll try to figure something out. Just something maybe we can just, what we're thinking is after the players use the card, throw it down in front of the camera. That way they don't need it in their hand to remember what it does. But we'll see. We'll definitely work on it. And thanks for the suggestions, Rick. Remember, you can catch the Bellhop, Deanna, and Kator playing Gloomhaven pretty much every Friday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Now, finally, some comments on last week's topic of what do you do when you have a missing player or players for game night? Christopher Bowen says, I cry, then play solo. But I'm mostly only doing board games with no legacy, which, like you said in the article, easier to fix. Looking to RPG soon, so many things in the article will help with that. Thanks. Oh, thanks for the comment, Christopher. Uh, solo gaming is definitely an option. It's it's not one we specifically brought up, but what I like about solo gaming, as we mentioned multiple times last week, at least that way you're still gaming, so you're sticking to that schedule. You're getting used to that routine of playing whatever it is every Monday or once a month or whatever it is. And good luck, Christopher, with a new RPG group. Uh, not the easiest thing to get going, but so rewarding if you do. Now, uh, Chris Godlet, Godlet, Godlet writes... Just finished reading. I love that you started with the emphasis about keeping your commitments and then going into acceptable to downright unacceptable reasons. It was an enjoyable read. Thanks, Chris. Glad you enjoyed it. I uh, got a lot of positive feedback on that article, which is awesome. I dig it. Thank you. Now, Chris, just Chris, writes, I like this article, and it's so true that inconsistency leads to lacking of game night. We've made a point a regular day on Saturday nights and allow anyone in the community to play. I do make it a point to play with some of the staple players, but I also have found that I am teaching as much as I am playing and staying on the sidelines. Either way, it has been an enjoyable experience, and this was a good article. Uh, thanks for the comment, Chris. What, what, what's with the Chris's? This article seems to have resonated with Chris's. That's, that's three Chris's in a row. Sorry, Christopher and two Chris's. I assume that's cool. Uh, anyway, I guess, I guess Chris's dig, uh, <laughs> have problems with problem players not showing up. But thanks for this comment, Chris. Just Chris. Uh, it's always great to hear from another game teacher. There aren't enough of us out there, so I just want to say thank you, Chris, for taking the time and effort to be willing to not only play, but teach games on your game night. And I'd like to finish off tonight's feedback session with a five-star review left on Apple Podcasts Canada. RNL wrote, I couldn't imagine gaming without this podcast. The Tabletop Bellhop podcast is crucial to your full enjoyment of the board gaming hobby. Wow. I, I, there's not much I can say to that. Thank you very much for the generous review, RNL. All right. Well, that's it for this week's comments. Thanks to everyone who shares, comments, and interacts with our content. We start Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. here on Eastern, here on Twitch, and we love people who drop in and take part in our chat room, the lobby. If you're here live, remember to stick around as we continue the show after the double bell for the after show. 
Tonight we've been having a chat. Uh, Ryan actually mentions that Waterdeep is under fifty dollars Canadian at Board Game Bliss Damn. as well. You can't, you cannot complain about that one. Yeah, uh, and he mentioned. I did see a question about the first Bellhop's Law. Uh, the long version is the best games in your collection are the ones that actually get played. It doesn't matter how fancy the game is, how clever the mechanics are, how great the miniatures are, how well known the designer is. None of that matters if the game just sits on your shelf. Yep. Uh, and Ryan points out, uh, I don't know if Dune is remarkably well-designed, but it's definitely thematic. I think it's remarkably well-designed for the time it came out. I personally worry that that's not going to stick up to the standards of 2020. That's my fear with that game, that, it, that there's a bunch of grognards out there that played it back in the day and have uh, a love for it that is more nostalgia-based than gameplay-based. I could be way off, but the fact that they reprinted the game as Rex from Fantasy Flight Games, and that game pretty much bombed, makes me think that it's the mechanics are not the highlight of the game. Now, I love asymmetric games, and that was one of the first and still considered one of the best, because every faction has a different win condition. The most interesting I learned was the Benny Gesserit predicts who's going to win, and if that person wins, they actually win instead. Which I thought was really neat, because while playing, they can, of course, try to move things so that that one player wins. And I'm like, that's cool. I learned that one. I, I don't know if they win instead or they win two. It's one or the other. Because otherwise you'd be stealing the win from someone else. And that particular player could never win, which would be lame. So there's, there's definitely some interesting looking stuff. And to be honest, I say I don't have, I do own a copy, but it's in French. And with no translation, and there's lots of text on the cards, I picked that up when Geekropolis closed, and I was all excited to try to translate it and try the game. But then I heard the new version was coming, and I was just kind of like, I'll keep this as a collector's item, and then I'll eventually pick up the new one. Uh, Tech is pointing out that his gaming this weekend consisted of building a new shelf for his games. Hey, that, that's that's gaming-related. Yep, absolutely. I've been doing a lot of rearranging. I'm, I'm going to be looking to excuse me get rid of some games coming up, so I'm trying to make some room. Now, I see Ryan recommended a Blackmagic camera switch box. I don't even know what that is, but I don't think that'll work because I don't want to switch between cameras. I just want both. I want to have like a small window where it's just our cards being played. No, you need the, we need, and, and just you do it on a green mat the same way as yeah, they did on that other one. Exactly. Just, no, Possibly overlay it right over top of the video. There's one okay. of the, is that Bored and Drunk or was that the other ones? I, uh, that was the ones who did, uh, oh. Oh, they the were potion, doing the Quacks of but Yeah, yeah. Quedlinburg. Unfortunately, I don't remember which which stream that is. I apologize for not giving you a proper shout out, but yeah, they had the game played and they were they had a side camera that was next to the whatever the the main broadcaster. Everyone would hand their cards to her and she would just slide it under the screen stream and it would show up over top, which worked ninety nine percent of the time. They were having some well, they kept issues, they kept but... reaching across it, which was a problem. Yeah. You know, you know, it, it was distracting because all of a sudden, you know, ghostly arms would appear and things, but. All right, well, we'll be checking back into the lobby a few more times during the show. We're here to answer your game, gaming, and game night questions. You can send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or head over to tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. Social media works too. We're everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Well, the best place to send questions is through the website. That way they don't get lost. I get a nice notification, pops up on my phone. I'm not going to say no to a question asked anywhere. Today's question comes from the founding patron of the show, Brian Kurtz. Are there any good word-based games out there besides Scrabble? In your opinion, is this even a category? Does it include word-guessing games like Taboo or Charades, or word-defining games like Balderdash? Well, thanks for the question, Brian, and for being with us right from the start. 
I think you'll be pleased to know that word games are a category, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to hobby board gaming, just as much as casual or mass market games. There are a ton of word games out there. There may not be as many as some of the other categories, and they're often, I'd say, overshadowed by the latest miniature game or some hot new deck builder or the latest Civ game, but there are plenty of great hobby word games out there. Plus, you mentioned three different categories. Sure, they're all word games to me. I don't care. I'll be loosey-goosey about this. It can be about spelling, or it could be about guessing words or word defining. They're all word games to me. That works. Uh, makes the category a little more broad. And I think there's hobby games covering all of those categories, as far as I'm concerned. To start, though, I do want to point out that there's nothing wrong with many of the mass market word games out there. Like, I'm personally a fan of many of them. Though there's quite a few I don't like to play with Deanna, but that's just because she'll kick my butt because her vocabulary blows mine away. We've said previously in episodes that Upwards is the superior Scrabble in the mass market world, and I firmly stand by that. Yeah, we'll get to that when I start listing games. It's on there. Um, this is important to note, right? Just for the hobby in general. Um to kind of shoot down some gatekeeping and some elitism, in my opinion. Just because a game is, isn't is sold in mass market stores, and it's from a famous game designer, and it features that game designer's name on the cover, and it's considered a hobby board game by all the real gamers, that doesn't actually mean it's a better game than anything you can find at Walmart or Target. Just because I can pick up a game at Walmart, Target, or even my closest shopper's drug mart here in Canada does not mean it's a bad game. Though we do need to point out that some mass market games don't always qualify under the definition of game, as we've said about Candyland. Yeah, I, I'm also not saying that every mass market game is good. No way, no way, no how, and not every hobby game is good. I'm just trying to say that the fact you can buy it at your local game store doesn't necessarily make it better than that game you can find at Target. And I think word games are a good example of that. So to that end, I want to start off with a list of decent mass market word games that I personally have no problem playing, seeing out at game night, and I'm never going to look down on someone for playing. Up first is the one Brian mentioned, and he even said it himself in his question. He said, games other than Scrabble. And yes, Scrabble. Like, everyone knows this game. Not much to say about it. It's a classic. It still stands strong. It's not like the Monopoly that got passed down by the generations. Everyone's house ruled it, so it's a terrible game nowadays. Scrabble always was good, and I think it always will be good. Honestly, the worst part about Scrabble is the scoring. I've rarely seen a game where there haven't been questions or confusions and yeah. recalculations of the score along the way. Uh, that and Scrabble dictionaries. People memorizing words that have never really been used outside of Scrabble gets annoying. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, Scrabble, my dad was someone back in the day you did not play Scrabble with. He'd kick D's butt because he had every two-letter word in Scrabble memorized. And he would put down letters in the middle of this block of other letters and suddenly score 90-some points by putting a Q down. Like, it, I, yeah, <laughs> the, the, that is definitely the issue with Scrabble. Yeah, and so that was Scrabble. All right, the one Sean already mentioned, Upwards. Uh, this was Deanna's favorite word game when I met her. Uh, besides not having any weird special scoring spots on the board, the big difference, of course, is that you can put letters on top of existing letters and build Upwards. Yeah, uh, I've always enjoyed this one. Uh, it was my family's uh, preference to Scrabble once, once it came out, uh, in part because of the easier scoring, yeah. but also just more flexibility in word creation using layering. Uh, you're not as limited to being, you know, the person with the super vocabulary because you've got more flexibility in where words can go. And that's Upwards. 
Next, I got Boggle. Uh, of those three games, the, the, to me, those are the big three. This is my personal favorite. Shake up the little letter dice, then rush to spell as many words as you can. Only score the words no one else has guessed. I have been a fan of Boggle forever. My favorite way to play it used to be on like the, the old um, Nintendo Game Boy. I've always dug it on handheld devices, but I'm up for playing it in person, too. Yeah, this has always been a hugely popular game. Most houses and schools all have a copy, but honestly, I've never played. <laughs> I think it might, I might have played some online versions or variations, but never the actual game of Boggle. There you uh, go. That's what we own. So maybe when you come down, instead of playing the next heavy Euro, we'll pull out Boggle. Except Euro. you'll win. I, yeah. I, 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 well, at least I won't. Between you two, you, you'd have a better chance than I do. All right. That was Boggle. All right, Quiddler. Uh, in this game, players are given a hand of letter cards. There are a lot of games like this, and you try to spell a word with it. And the thing is, you, you win the round if you're able to spell the word. If you can't, you have to discard a card and draw a new one. The neat bit here, and what I like about this game, is the fact that you start off with three cards, and you have to spell a three-letter word. Then you have four cards, you have to spell a four-letter card, five cards, and so on. Every round requiring a bigger and bigger word, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I do like the slow build of this one, where you're not expected to open with seven-letter convoluted words. Um, and that is Quiddler. Up next, one that's, uh, uh, I, I don't know what, gimmicky is probably the best word to word, way to word it, but a lot of fun, that's Tapple. I gotta thank local gamer uh, John Salila for introducing me to this one. It's not one I would have ever picked up. It's this big frisbee-looking thing with, like, a big ripe red buzzer in the middle, uh, light in the middle with all these letters around the edge. And it's not all the letters of the alphabet. Like, there's no Q. Like, they're trying to make it a little easier on you. There's no X, no Z. Uh, you pick a category from cards, which when we played, we didn't use the cards. We just picked the category and then you pass the thing to the first player and they have to say a word that matches the category and press the letter then they pass the machine to the next player who has to say another word using a different letter now at the same time the thing has a countdown if you don't pick a quick letter quick enough the buzzer goes off and you're out of the game and you just keep playing until it's one person left yeah this is similar to those games in school where you need to say a thing often it was a state or a province that starts with the last letter of the previous person's word um and, but it's got an electronic component and some theming. Uh, note, there is also a Tapple 10, which is yeah, a different game. Different. Uh, it does contain some of some of the same games, but it's uh, 10 different games uh, yeah, no by the same manufacturers. Either. No, there's no electronics. Um, but that is Tapple. Uh, and next, we have some harder-to-find games. Some mass market stores will have these. Others may not. But I think they're common enough that you shouldn't need to find an FLGS to find them. You can also find these at teacher supply stores and educational stores. All right, this one looks really cool. I will admit I've never played this one. I've seen it out at, at, at events before, and it's got some neat elements, and that's Word on the Street. Now, this is a unique one where the letters are placed on a board representing a street, and they all start in the median. And then teams try to say words that match a keyword. And when they say a word, they get to move up all the letters in the word toward their side of the street. And if you can get the letters to go off the edge of the street, they get points for those. So they count all their tiles that came off their side of the street versus the other teams, how many letters came off their side. A very neat little quick game with it. I just like that kind of push and pull tug of war, like especially popular letters like R-S-T-L-N-E are probably going to get pulled back and forth quite a bit. So you're going to want to try to use a word that uses multiples of those letters to pull them all the way to your side. Some neat actual strategy to this game instead of just guessing words. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and again, this one, similar to the la uh, last one, not all the letters are there on the street either. Yeah. So uh, you want to go for words like uh, the description, the example they used is pineapple because you've got a, but you can move that P like three times. Yeah. Um, it's also available in junior and there is an expansion to refresh the cards if you've gotten through and gotten bored of the original ones. And that is word on the street. Next, I have kerfuddle. Uh, this is another one I haven't played. So I probably should put that caveat at the beginning. I'm not a huge word game gamer so some of these are definitely games i played and loved but a lot of them are ones that came strongly recommended or just sound neat to me uh this one i actually know because of jess Sousa's wedding we attended at reno's kitchen sad to see that place closed this game was out on the table like there was go cuckoo there was scrabble there was a bunch of games people already know and uh, one of the other really popular ones is a dice game and i'm forgetting the name of it but it doesn't matter this kerfuddle game a group grabbed it at the beginning of the night and like they just kept playing and recruiting more people. And every time I walked into the into the, the bar area of, of the wedding, there were people playing Kerfuddle. Now, I don't really know it, but it sounds like an advanced version of Boggle. So it doesn't have a grid, but you pull out the dice. And then there's cards that are played each round to change the rules. Like I know at least one of the cards is the word has to be X long. Sounded pretty neat. And man, was it popular at least that one night. Yeah, so this one strikes me as much more interesting than bo than Boggle, uh, but I think it's actually I think there's actually a separate dice that uh, roll you roll to determine the minimum that's one, number of, number. of okay. letters in a word, uh, and then the cards are some sort of theming, uh, you know, limitation again limitations. Yeah. So you 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 roll you know fourteen dice or something for letters, one for how many your minimum count is, and then the cards are some sort of limitation on Yeah, all. so you're not just spelling every word you possibly can. Exactly, yeah. And this is, that was Kerfuddle. All right, up next, Bananagrams. Uh, we mentioned this one on the show before. This is one we own, we dig. Uh, tiles are spilled out into the table, split amongst the players. You then use them to basically make a crossword style, like Scrabble style, where you got your across and down, spelling words. It's similar to Scrabble, but with none of the pain of figuring out scoring. Instead, it's a race to use up all your tiles before your opponent does. Uh, that's the basic game. There are a bunch of variant ways to play uh, in the in the banana that you get to buy this game. And there's a ton of variants for Bananagrams also found online. So I'm just a huge fan of word games without complex scoring. Don't make me hard pivot between literary and numerical sides of my brain. Uh, instead, just play competitive crosswords with bananagrams. Now, on to more in line with the, uh, those more in line with hobby word games. Yeah, so these are the ones you're probably going to have to go to your local game store to pick up. A lot of them are by designers who have designed other games and they've tried their hand at word games. Uh, the first being Pictomania from Vlada Chivato. Uh This is a gamer's version of Pictionary. Again, by saying it's a gamer's version, I'm not saying it's better. It's a different alternative. It's more complicated. There's more strategy and tactics required. Because in this case, instead of one person drawing and everyone trying to guess, everyone is drawing at once. And while drawing, the players also have to bet on what their opponents are drawing. And the way this works is that there are a limited set of words each round. So if you are playing with five players, you only put six words out. So you know one word, no one's drawing. You know the word you're drawing. So you can actually do things like deduction. Like, well, he obviously has a duck. I obviously have a ball. So that means Mike either has a car or this. And the fact he's drawn a bump means he's probably got a car. Like, you can kind of see how your brain works while playing this game. There are actual tactics, too. Like, when you're drawing, you don't want to make 
make your thing too subtle, but you want to make it subtle enough that people guess it or else you lose points. And like I say, it's it's Gamer's Pictionary. If you want Pictionary with a little bit more explanation, a little bit more difficulty, but also rewarding skill over just drawing ability, check this one out. Now, I suppose we're probably going to get arguments from some people debating what is and isn't a word game. And I yeah. think that's a fair discussion to have, honestly. But it's our show, so we pick the games to start anyways. And that was Pictomania. Yeah, there was a, Brian had, I can't remember what, he mentioned one in his list. He was like, Gate, we're guessing games, and I threw yep. it in there with those ones. So I went with this as a word guessing game. Because they're all like one word clues that you're trying to draw. Yep. And plus, like I said, there's not that many word games. we got to be able to get it in here somehow. Up next, a game I talked about last week, week before, I don't remember now, two weeks ago, and that's Knitwit. Um, I'm always going to call it this because that's what it is. It's the Venn Diagram word game. Players are going to put out a bunch of spools, note the theme. Uh, those are then looped with various colored threads, and attached to each thread is a single word. Then it's up to the players to look at the spool and come up with a word or sentence for each one that applies to every thread surrounding it. So one spool might be under three threads, another one might be under eight, and you're trying to find a word or sentence that applies to all of those. This is one of my favorite word games. It's it's such a word guess, word uh, discovery games, like where you're not spelling things, but you're actually trying to find the word. I am a huge fan of it. You can get it cheap. I don't know why it's so cheap everywhere, but it's cheap everywhere. I strongly recommend almost everyone pick up a copy of Nitwit. My only thing is to make sure you have a conversation before the game starts about what kind of answers you're going to allow. Because we found this game can go adult quick, and you may not want that in your game night. Uh, I still think of it as the detective's beginner's kit for those yarn things they do on TV. <laughs> yeah, similar in a way. But uh, that was Nitwit. All right, up next, Hardback. Uh, this is a deck-building game where players are trying to build their deck to create words that score points. It's a re-implementation of the game Paperback, and a lot of people loved Paperback. I personally prefer this one because what it does is it adds in book genres, four of them to the mix, and certain letters are going to be tied to certain book types. So uh, there's romance, thriller, I don't remember the other two. It doesn't really matter. But what matters is that if you play one card from the romance set, it matters nothing. But by the time you play a second card to the romance, set now the romance power goes off this is going to be recognizable to anyone who plays star realms because it's that same mechanic in deck building clank has this as well there's other games out there that have that where if you play cards from the same set you get bonuses i uh, it's a fantastic game the only problem i find with it is the fact that you can spell the same word over and over some people don't like that now, personally, that's actually, to me, it's part of the game because it's a deck builder. And if you can build your deck and thin it so you can spell the same fantastic word multiple times, you're playing the game right. But for people who want to be rewarded for their vocabulary, they're probably not going to enjoy hardback as much as another word game. What that means for me is I can happily play it with Deanna and still win. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that they actually call it a prequel to paperback because they take it back to the 19th yeah. century for the theme. But don't be, mis be mistaken, it is indeed a re-implementation. Yeah, uh, it's, it's basically the same game. It just yep. it, it uses that, that additional mechanics and new ways to score. Yep. Uh, that is hardback. Up next, I got Train of Thought. So now we're into word guessing again. Players try to get the other players to guess a word with giving only a three-word clue. But one of those words had to come from a prior answer. So the way that works is for each clue, each player can make one guess. If no one gets it right, the clue giver then comes up with another clue, but they have to use one of those other players' guesses and up to two other words. So you get this whole train of using the last thing from the last thing into the new one. 
Yeah, I really like how this one forces you to think on your feet and make use of what has come before you to be successful. And that is Train of Thought. Up next, code names. We've talked about this enough. This is one I, I kind of thought was a stretch, but you know what? It showed up on a lot of word games lists when I was trying to do research for this post or for this uh, topic. Uh, this is a game, team game with a grid of cards. Players are trying to get their team to select all the cards that are on their team side while avoiding an assassin, which sounds really weird, but it's pretty simple once you see it. Clues are given as one word or a short sentence and the number of cards on the field that apply. So if you wanted to pay, you could be like Spider-Man 3 and you're looking for web hero and New York could be the three cards that are tied together. This is honestly one of the best modern word-based party games out there in my opinion. Yeah, no, I really uh this one is one of the best parts of this is how you can expand the player count through teams. So if you've got the big group um, Codenames is fantastic for just teaming up people. And even if it says, I think it's six players or whatever, yeah, or the, whatever it's the limit, you can do it with, you know, groups and, you know, each player is a team of people. Yep. Um, it's really easy for people to get excited playing Codenames. Next, I got Letter Tycoon. Uh, this is another card-driven game where you're getting cards that represent individual letters, uh, but it's combined with stock-based economics. So someone took 18xx and mashed it with Scrabble. It's pretty neat. Players score points and stocks for forming words, but then they can use the money they've earned to patent one of the letters in the word they used. And then in the future, if any other players use that letter, the patent owner earns money. So it's pretty neat. It's all about who has the most money at the end of the game. Uh, this is probably the most gamey word game I've ever played. I gotta admit, I love it. It's like the heavy word game, if, the, if there is such a thing. I'm, still, I'm sure it's still like a two-point something, because it's not heavy. But for word games, there's actual economics in there, and some of the cards have special powers, and there's a lot going on in this game. I would own a copy of this game if I could find it for a reasonable price. Yeah, I'm actually quite interested in this one, as it combines some fun word game themes that I've played on apps, but then introduces some interesting real gaming elements to make... Uh, uh, to make it now i do see that uh two player is not yeah, the no. ideal way to play this though so keep that in mind uh, if you're if two is your normal uh, player count before you yeah, it's it's one of those right like if you're going to patent a letter you're just punishing the other player where if there's three or four players it's going to spread it around right it's not just yeah. i win plus if i get a bunch of patents out before you do that kind of is gonna yeah. swing it to one side yeah i would not play that one two player we played with more than that so again, that was Letter Tycoon. All right, just one. Uh, this is the new hotness Is when it comes to word games. This is huge. It's blowing up everywhere. Uh, it's not one I personally had a chance to play, but it is on my wish list. In this game, all but one player knows the goal word. Everyone else has to take that word and write down a clue to try to get the main player, the, the guesser, to guess it. The thing is, before you do that, the clues are compared and any duplicate clues are removed. The player then has to try to guess the word with the clues that are left. This one sounds like a great party game. Great big group game. Yeah, no. Interestingly, this is a re-release with improved components of a previously smaller release French-only game huh. known as We Are The Word. Uh, but the rights were purchased and they upgraded the pieces and uh, released it as just one yeah this one it, it looks good it's, it's one i really want to try another new hotness this i just came out 2019 it's called letter jam now it's another one i personally haven't tried but i want to include it just because it's something very different 
What's different about this is it's cooperative. It's the only co-op game on the list. And as far as I can think, it's the only co-op word game I think I've ever even seen. At least that was noteworthy enough to, to be on a... a, a no, to, to be ranked, right? That wasn't terrible. So players are working together to try to form meaningful words from the cards around the table. The thing is, this uses the Hanabi mechanic, where you can't actually see the letter card you're holding. So what happens is players in turn say how long a word they can spell with what's out there, and then they give people tokens to show what place they are in the word, but they never actually say the word. And then the way to actually score is you have to guess which letter you're holding. Uh... That's obviously not the full rules. I got to say, this sounds fascinating. Like, I, I really want to try this one. Yeah, this one is doing very well on Board Game Geek, and interestingly, strongly recommended as best at five to six players. Um, as a fan of Hanabi, I can certainly see the uh, fun in this one. Again, this is Letter Jam. All right, where are words? Everyone loves this game. Everyone knows how I feel about Werewolf Mafia. I really should give in, probably at QCC, and let Sean Gilgore teach me to play, see if I do like it better than Werewolf. I personally have stayed away from this because I am not a fan of Werewolf Mafia, that con game that everyone loves. Uh, this is a word version, and I got to admit, the way it's described, it doesn't sound bad. So players are trying to guess a secret word by answering yes and no questions. You have to try to figure out the word before time runs out. The thing is, one of the players is secretly a werewolf who's working against you and knows the word, so can try to steer the group away from it. The neat part here is, even if you don't guess the word by the time the timer runs out, if you can guess who the werewolf is, you then win. It's quick. It's well-regarded, even enough for a nominee, as a nominee for Espiel de Jarre. I suggest looking at the deluxe version, which plays up to 20 players and has a number of new features and roles within the game. Personally, I'm wary of anything werewolf, and not even just the werewolf game, con game, but I, I'm just not a fan of most games that have werewolf theme of any kind, but that's just me. For everyone else, check out Werewords. I don't know, with 20 players, that sounds worse, because now there's going to be 20 different roles, and it's now it's going to become even more where players are eliminated. I think I would try this with just like five or six myself, but hey, that was Werewords. Next, another words game, Trap Words. Uh, this is my final game for today. This is the final word game that seems to be worth picking up. Uh, this is a team-based game, and I included it on the list because Brian specifically mentioned Taboo. This is the next step of Taboo. This is the gamer's Taboo. Just like Pictomania is the gamer's uh, Pictionary, this is the gamer's Taboo. The big twist here is instead of everyone knowing what word you're not allowed to use, it's the opposing team that picks the word you can't use, and you don't know what it is. So you have no idea which words are traps in this game. Now, the other thing that seemed cool about this one is it adds a theme to the game. And I got to say, this part sounds neat because you take on the role of a group of adventurers crawling through a fantasy dungeon full of traps and curses with a boss waiting for you at the end. So I don't know how that's tied in, but throw it in a dungeon theme. I got to say that hits some of my buttons. So I uh, a special note, because I know uh, Ryan, I believe, is, yep. has always been a problem with this. Notepad. Pencils, and even a pencil sharpener nice. are included with this game. Now, on the downside for my money, uh, I looked into this quite a bit once a day because I, I thought the same as you. Oh, look, dungeon theme. This looks cool. So I read into it quite a bit, and it seems like they've really overthought this one. Okay. They've got a strong concept with the, with the game idea, and then they've just attached a whole bunch of other stuff onto it to make it more appealing to gamers, like, you know, visually appealing to gamers and okay. things. Uh, and the dungeon aspect ends up being extraneous and takes away from what is a really great take 
on the old game of Taboo. All right. Um, also note, this is entirely different from another Trap Words game from 1997. Yeah, this is, there are this two is Trap Words. Yeah, there are two Trap Words games. You probably won't find the one from 1997. Probably but, not, but you know, never know. It, it is there on Board Game Geek. I do wonder if you can throw the theme. If it interferes, if you could just play the word game. I, I suspect you probably could. It might, you know. It, a it's little... reviewing pretty well. Like, its rating is pretty good, so I have to assume there's something good there. Yeah. Well, again. Again, I do apologize for not being a word game expert. <laughs> uh, there are quite a few of these I played, but there are quite a few I haven't. So I'm going off what other people have said. Yeah, I, I just started digging into the reviews and looking at and looking at ratings and rankings and what people were saying about it. And again, the game concept itself, the word game portion of this is really well yeah, done. Yeah, sounds good. It's just this little dungeon extra and the, the cutesy, cartoony kids kids art and things that detract from that. So Now, if I had to go shopping right now, the ones I would most want to pick up, and this will include, like, say I had none, Letter Tycoon. Just, I really want a copy of that. Code names for party games, I think you have to have. I personally love Hardback and Nitwit. Pictomania, I loved, but I had a real hard time getting to the table, I will admit. Uh, convincing people to play it, because they see it, and they're just like, oh, it's Pictionary, I don't want to play Pictionary. Oh, I can't draw it. I'm like, it's actually less important. But I have a real hard time selling that one. I gotta admit, I want to try Kerfuddle. Word of the Street's really great. Tapple, I almost wish someone locally just had a copy to bring out now and then, but I don't feel the need to own it. As for the classics, I think most people already own them at this point. Yeah, yeah. Letter Tycoon, I think, is the one that I would most. Uh, that's like the to one I most to. would love to to have a uh, copy of and give dive into a little deeper. But I, I'd be willing to I'd be willing to try the uh, word on the street up against D. So you know, <laughs> all right. Words with the same letters in them. That's a that's a unique way of having to think. Yep. Yep. All right, if you've got a question for us, head over to the website, click on Ask the Bellhop, or email us at questions at tabletopbellhop.com. This is what we're here for. This segment of the show, we are here to answer your gaming and game night questions. We got plenty on the webpage, but we can always use more. We want to be here answering your questions. Now that we're done with our thoughts on the main topic, let's head over to the lobby and see what they think. I did not see a lot of recommendations from the chat. I was hoping someone would point out some word games we missed. A lot of lo love for upwards. I did notice that going yep. through. Uh, a lot of love for upwards. Wordsy. Yeah, I remember. Ryan is Deanna mentioning Wordsy. Wordsy, I've heard the name. I don't know the game, though. Deanna could correct me on this. I thought we had played upwards and went, wow, this is not as good as I remember. But that's all I remember is sitting down to play it at some point and her going, oof, okay. My memory of this was way better. So Wordsy is a re-implementation of Prolix. Uh, I don't know that one either. And yeah, Wordsy is a 2017. Uh, again, you know, there most word games are about a 20, 10 to 20 minute game. Yeah, generally speaking. Most of them are. Um, well, that's from Gilhova. Gilhova yeah. makes some good games. Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, timed and uh, you get eight consonants on the board and you have to, the first person to write down a word flips a 30 second timer and huh. everyone else gets 30 seconds to write down their own word. Possibly. It's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, May Suggins points out, you had to play werewolf as a team building exercise at work. I don't think I could play it without having flashbacks to work in customer service. So that's how I feel about were werewolf, but I didn't even have to go through that. <laughs> like I just get flashbacks of playing werewolf and getting eliminated for no reason whatsoever, because I had a striped shirt on, if I remember correctly, was the reason that the villagers gave for killing me. Cause that's, I'm not a fan. I do want to try. I, 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 
gotta give where words a try at some point. There's enough people I respect that like it. Just ah, uh, I don't know. Prove me wrong. That's that's what I need to know. Ryan mentions that Dr. Michael Heron of Meeple Like Us thinks of Scrabble as an area control game. And yes, Which, it is. to be honest, that's it. It's all yeah, about absolutely. the scoring. It's all yeah. about the three times. It's not where word you spilled. It's who could get to a three-time scoring first and put the yeah. right thing on it. Yeah. it, it it's, there's, you still have to have the vocabulary, though. Like I said, I, I, it's, a, it's that, but then you add in the three and the two-letter words that score ridiculous points when you hit multiple areas. And, and But again, a lot of that's not vocab. I wouldn't describe that as that's vocabulary. Not voca- okay, memorizing I mean, that's Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. It's word lists because there's just so so many useless words there. Uh, I yeah, know like, earlier... How? earlier how, why are they the there? Room, why are there all these two-letter words yeah. that aren't real words, even May, in the Scrabble Dictionary? Uh, May and uh, Dee were mentioning that their house rule was... It wasn't just enough for it to be in the dictionary. You had yeah. to use it in a sentence. Well, yeah, uh, it makes sense because that, that was the problem with it. And it was the Scrabble dictionary. It's not the normal dictionary. These things aren't in the, you know, Merriam-Webster dictionary. Yeah. I don't even know where they come from. But well, again, it goes all back sorts to... of strange words that aren't in common dictionaries that technically are words in some, you know, yeah, some form or another. But. You know, only if you've got the unabridged OED is are you ever going to find it otherwise? But like, okay, A A A B A D A E A G A H A I A L A M A N A R A S. Okay, A S is as that's who <laughs> A N N. There we go. Oh, you know, A N's and like, what do those mean? What what's F A? What's what's Fa? <laughs> like, what what is that like? Fee five O from Z A. Is that like short for pizza? <laughs> X U. Like, that's got to be a big one. If you can memorize it, you can use XU in Scrabble. Like, those are two big letters. Yep. That's a big score. Like, there's there's 107 acceptable two-letter words in Scrabble. And I'm willing like, to bet how? you can't use more than about a dozen of them in a sentence. Uh, if that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I don't get it. Yeah. And then there, there's two different, I guess there's two different known Scrabble dictionaries. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. You know, there's competing Scrabble dictionaries, and there's... You know, there, there's it's, it's CSW version, which actually has more. So the minimum is 107, and then the more relaxed version, there's 127 two-letter words. Right. Like, that's... I'm sorry. If you've got 107, that's pretty relaxed already, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, play some word games. Absolutely. I dig them. It's not something I play often. Like I said, I lose at games where it's vocabulary based. Well, at least versus Deanna. Versus other people, I have a pretty good vocabulary. My problem is my spelling sucks, which I, Sean is yes, well aware does. of. <laughs> see my show notes. So my I am I'm really bad for spelling. So and I have that problem playing word games where I put the word down but I've spelled it wrong or I don't realize how it's spelled. So that that's yeah. part of the problem. Yeah, autocorrect doesn't exist in Scrabble. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> in boggle if you get word recommendations that would be terrible word, word domination, domination if that's a game it's not one i know there are all kinds of card games like that that just don't rate that well or whatever that are you know play the cards to spell the words none of them literally look that cool though. the word domination is over a seven it's actually a weight of two with a 7.1 ranking 7.7.1 rating not one i know not one world else. building meets area control in word that domination sounds cool Play of one, as one of eight diabolical supervillains competing to steal <laughs> the world's priceless artifacts before your opponents have a chance. In word domination, you will ransack, backstab, and steal your way to victory. Sounds okay. good. Yeah. 
And this time, I can't really be yelled at for not mentioning theme first, because 90% of the games I mentioned tonight don't have any themes. So. Yeah. I mean, word on the street, I suppose, has a theme. You know, it's it's the old there's a street theme. There's a street. <laughs> you're crossing the street, too. I, yeah, I, you are crossing I the street. That's what you're trying to do, basically, is the words are stuck in the media to try to pull them. Except, unfortunately, uh, they're all jaywalking, so... Yes. Not... <laughs> Words be free treads, I've heard is all right. Um, there's a is... whole bunch of party games that I was trying to decide if they fit or not, right? Like, not bits and wagers. I'm trying to think. These games where you get a white erase board, you have to write stuff down. Oh, here's a shout-out. I'm going to give a shout-out to some tabletop people have talked about these. I don't know if they count as tabletop. To me, they count as video games, but they're very much tabletop video games. And that is the Jackbox Party Pack. The Jackbox Party Pack, yep. any of them, I don't know which one I own on the PlayStation, has a phenomenal selection of drawing, word-guessing games, spelling games, shout-out-the-answer games. Well, no, write-out-the-answer games. <laughs> like, to be honest, for most of these games, we've done this on New Year's. We get everyone together because you can log in with your phone, and I put on the Jackbox Party Pack, and suddenly 20 of us are playing a word game together yep. where it's all stuff like pick a letter or yes or no answers, but there are a ton of great word games. Um, word Between Friends, isn't that just the uh, knockoff of Scrabble? Words with Friends? Yeah. Well, that's Words the, with Friends. That's Words with Friends. I don't know what Word, word Between Friends. But yeah, check out the Jackbox Party Pack. If you like word games... Like, just look at the various games that come in them. Like, I think the one I have has three different variations on word games. Yeah, Words with Friends is what Ryan Yeah, did. Words with Friends. Yeah, yeah so they, prob they probably board game the, the, the video game because that was the app. It, it is. Bought it's, by Zeninga. It's still, it's still Scrabble. I don't quite get how it's any different. Like, the scoring tiles are even in the same place last time I looked at it. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it's Scrabble. Yeah, That's it's, really bizarre. I, I'm not quite sure how the license... I think Scrabble must be out of copyright. For the first time ever, you can play Words with Friends in person with your favorite wordies. Unless AKA you had a Scrabble. Played Scrabble board. <laughs> yes. That's weird. Unspeakable Words, the Cthulhu card game's terrible, in my opinion. That's why that's not on the list. I own that game. Uh, besides the fact the miniatures started releasing mold released five years after owning it and turned kind of goopy which is very cthulhu like uh the problem with that game was is the scoring was based on the number of angles in the letters so an a scored three because it had three points and like a z scored two because it had two points and it had nothing to do with how common or uncommon the letter was which i thought was kind of neat plus in that game you could literally throw down all your words and make up a make made up word cuz that was part of the game but then you had to roll the sanity die and if you rolled less than the number of letters you spent you lost your little cthulhu tokens and if you lose all your cthulhu tokens you you you're insane and you're out of the game and it it just it was it, i don't know it was silly push your luck more than an actual word game and i found the players who actually tried to spell stuff tended to do worse than the people that were just like duh, duh, duh. Yay, I rolled 22, so I'm fine. Like, it, I don't know. It's it's like many Steve Jackson games. They're, they're silly, lighter party games where you're meant to laugh and have a good time and laugh at someone saying, F -f 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 then actually enjoy playing them. We did sell the game. It was, it was despite the fact it had rotting miniatures in it, someone bought it because we looked it up. The stuff was safe. But yeah, people dig it. I don't. The people who like Munchkin tend to like that. People who like Steve Jackson style games, you know, Zombie Dice, the quick filler games, are probably going to like Unspeakable Words. Not one for me though. So Words with Friends is not quite Scrabble. They shifted some place, some things around, and then cut out a bunch of the rules from Scrabble, uh, which are okay. apparently you know important rules for Scrabble that they just decided. To they tried to make it simpler or so. something. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Whatever the case may be. All right, let's get going. All right, well, we'll be back checking the lobby again during this show, more than likely.
We keep growing with the support of fans like you. So please take a minute to subscribe, like, rate, review, click on the bell, thumbs up, retweet, or share with your friends. We're looking to grow the brand even more with many things in the works. So get in on the ground floor. We're going to have to change that at some point because we're always on the ground floor. We're now on floor number two and now we're doing this new thing. If I were not sick, we actually are going to be doing some new stuff. Uh, sign up to receive Tabletop Bellhop weekly in your inbox. Once a week, I send out an email recapping all the content we released the week previous. This is the best way to keep up with everything we put out every week. It's been a flow of how much and how little, and we kind of got a good flow going now. Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little. If you don't want to miss anything, subscribe to our newsletter. You can sign up at newsletter.tabletopbellhop.com or go over to the tabletopbellhop.com webpage where you'll find a spot to subscribe in the sidebar. All right, next week, next Wednesday, one week from today or tomorrow, if you're listening to our podcast, it's our first AMA of 2020. I am hoping to see a packed lobby. Our AMA episodes hit once a month on the last Wednesday of every month. Next Wednesday, January 25th is our next episode. All right, the medium giveaway. Keep talking about it, but I still haven't gotten copies of it. So it seems our first giveaway is going to be starting later rather than sooner. It is coming, though. I do have a feeling that medium probably would have been on our list during our main topic today if we had be, had it to talk about. Because uh, I think it's, it might be a, a count as a word game based on if we're counting just one. I don't see why this one wouldn't work. Listen here and follow us on social media for a heads up when this giveaway goes live. All right, today's feedback section, we read off a fantastic five-star review. Uh, that serves as a good reminder for us to remind you that we love iTunes reviews, or I should say Apple Podcast reviews, or really reviews anywhere. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to take a minute, head over to Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice, and drop us a review. That goes for uh, Spotify or pretty much anywhere except Google that you get our podcast, because Google doesn't do reviews. Google doesn't like reviews. Google says reviews are bad. Not only does it boost our egos, it lets us know that we're doing good things and helps us guide our future content and it helps let other people know why they should choose to listen to us with so many great podcasts out there. Up next, a review, the dueling game, card game Sorcerer. Uh, Sorcerer was designed by Peter Schultz, uh, developed by Robert Dougherty and Darwin Castle. Features art from, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time because there's a bunch of names here that aren't English, and I, I do apologize. So we got Dan Dremovec, Alina Kubakawa, Vasek Panasic, Peter Schultz, and Pavel Sarausik. It was kickstarted in 2019 and published the same year by White Wizard Games. Now, I first got to try this game at Origins 2019, where Rob Dougherty himself taught me how to play. By the end of the weekend, I convinced them to send me home with a review copy of the base game. No other compensation was provided. Now, the best way to see what you get in the Sorcerer Core set is to watch our unboxing video on YouTube. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, though, what do you get in the box? All right, up first, a nice, thick, glossy rulebook, lots of white space, nice, large font, tons of examples, no complaints at all about the rulebook. It's exactly what i want from it uh you're going to reference it a few times but most of the rules are actually on the card so it's not one i bring out that often except for getting a couple player powers great rule book uh then we have some punch boards these are mostly lots and lots of little counters and tokens for tracking things during the game uh there's some nice dividers it's worth noting the dividers are actually like punch board they're cardboard not just thicker taller cards and then there's some standees to represent your characters one of the board game elements in this game uh, while the art in this game is really top-notch, 
having standees is a bit of a letdown. I don't, they're already stretching the card game into a board game. I think if they throw miniatures in there, the, the dueling card game players might have thrown a fit. So <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. I, they're fine. They're not great, yeah. but they're functional. Uh, next, we have four rather solid player boards. Uh, these are over top a nice plastic box insert. The insert itself has a ton of room for cards, like a ridiculous amount. Uh, you can see it in the unboxing video. I take the cards that come in the game. They maybe take up 20% of this. So they're obviously expecting a bunch of exp uh, expansions to be coming out for this. There are some out as well. Uh, in that, I found the rest of the stuff. There were some location tiles, the dice, some cubes, and some glass bead-style counters. Now, the location tiles on the player boards are worth noting because they're two-sided. Uh, one side having a generic occult theme and the other having an Egyptian theme. The player boards also have the mana boards flipped to the opposite sides on these. So from what I understand, I'm not left-handed, but this is a great thing for left-handed players to stop you from bumping your, your energy track. I called it mana, it's energy. Um, there's also four location tiles, three being in Victorian London, the other being some weird messed up demon place. I don't know what it's supposed to represent. It looks kind of neat. Uh, all of these are mounted boards in significant thickness uh, is probably the best way to word it. You can, again, see it in the unboxing video. I was actually very surprised by how thick and, like, solid and they're not going to bend like how nice these are they're not just cardstock the dice are worth mentioning there's an oversized d8 that one's it's a d8 big deal but there are seven custom d6s these include two blanks a pentacle one pentacle two of uh, these skulls or demon heads i can't quite tell which i guess they're both skulls with horns and then one side there's two skulls so you got blank blank pentacle one skull one skull two skull Finally, we get to the cards. This is a card game. So the cards are your main thing you want to see here. Cards are packaged in those nice, easy-to-open packs, and there are a lot of them. Not nearly enough to fill the box, but tons of them. There are three different types of cards in this game, three different stacks of cards. There are character cards, lineage cards, and domain cards. And in the base game, you get four different sets of each of these. So four characters, four lineages, four domains. Information on the cards is very clear, easy to read. Uh, one of the things I like is the special abilities are actually defined right on the cards, so there's no glossary you need to look up while playing. Card quality is excellent, what you'd expect from White Wizard games if you played Epic or Star Realms or any of their other games. Ascension, they're all the same great quality. Yeah, indeed. There was no peering at or struggling to read anything on these cards. The te text nicely popped, though I'll note it is a light text on dark, which we know isn't Moe's favorite. Nah, it's still, it's, it's not too bad on these ones. It's better than trying to read a whole rule book with that one card at a time. It's not too bad. Now, the one thing I do want to know here is the artwork. Well, Sorcerer has some fantastic artwork, like really nice quality artwork. This is not a happy, friendly kids game. Uh, you're playing necromancers and demonologists and summoning hordes of terrible minions to do horrible things in Victorian London, and the artwork reflects this. The artwork is going to turn off some players, and is probably not something you want your kids to be subject to. But then should we ever subject our children to necromancers? I guess that's a decision that each family has to come to on their own. The other thing that's important to note is that this is not a collectible card game. This isn't you're going to go out and buy booster packs. Everyone who buys Sorcerer gets the same 12 decks of cards, all with the same cards in them. Now, the remaining bits, the counters and such, are all decent quality. There's nothing really I need to highlight here. No complaints. Uh, there's counters for tracking things, some standees, a first player token, all that fun stuff. Nothing really all that important. 
Now, of course, there will be and already are many expansions for this in, you know, booster pack size, both in cards and in locations, actually. But only one person has to buy them. I would actually suggest that for a group, it might work well if one person buys the base or people chip in to buy the base and then other players can, you know, pick up uh, the odd expansion here or there, a uh, pack here or there because they're relatively inexpensive. And though they are in boosters and not randomized again, you're going to buy one character or you're going to buy one domain or you're going to buy one lineage and get all the cards for that character domain or lineage in one pack. Again, no randomness. Now, a bit about the game. Sorcerer uh, is at its core a two-player dueling card game, right? And by that, I think most people know what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about many games that came before it. Ashes, uh Summoner Wars and, of course, Magic the Gathering being the big daddy, the, the elephant in the room. Uh, first off, players are going to build a deck. Now, this is something that makes this game stick out because they're going to do that by picking one stack of cards from each of those three types. So you're going to grab one character, one lineage, and one domain. And again, the base game comes with four of these, so you got quite a few different options here. They're then going to take the top cards off, which are these skill cards. They're going to take the rest of them and mash them together and shuffle them together to make your play deck. So it's not really deck building in, in the, the board game term sense of it, as much as it you're drafting your from a set of options to pick the aspects that will eventually form your deck. Yeah, exactly. It makes perfect sense that way. Like if anyone's played Smash Up before, they're going to be familiar with the take two decks, mash them together. Now each player is going to take a player board. They got a spot to place their deck, a discard pile, a place to track your starting energy. I don't remember what you start at, sorry. A place to store <laughs> omens you earn, which are little button things you're going to earn and a way to track your number of actions uh the actions and energy are using those glass beads i mentioned earlier before you're going to put three locations out between the players what's on them doesn't matter like the game comes with four it doesn't actually matter which ones you use that's a thematic thing plus you can buy replacement ones for other locations but again there's no special rules on these uh these are the battlegrounds you're going to fight over so unlike magic or sky starts star realms or any of those other games there is a board game element to this you are trying to win by destroying two of the three battlegrounds that are in play first player to destroy two of the three wins the game now at the start of the game you're going to get a hand of cards there is a mulligan rule i'm not going to bother mentioning that you're going to get some starting energy and you start with one omen token you randomize who goes first you get a first player token uh that's important because the first player token can be spent to re-roll dice um then you get into the main game there are four phases there's the ready phase, the action phase, the battle phase, the end phase. Um, ready phase is skip the first turn. Ready phase is your usual start of turn maintenance, untapping. Yes, it's not called untapping, whatever. You're going to swap first player, etc. Now, the important one here that's unique to this game, that like Ashes is another game where you derive your mana from your dice. Well, in this one, the player whose turn it is decides if everyone gets four energy or they can roll the D8, and that's what everyone gets. You're also going to decide what battleground your character's in. So like those three boards, you're going to put your standee for where your character is focused. Now, choosing your battleground is actually an interesting and important mechanic since certain aspects of the game can only take place where your character is actually present, even though all three battlegrounds can see action between minions each turn. Yeah, I mentioned those skill cards that you're going to take off your top of your deck. That's the main place this is going to come into play, is you can only use your skills, your character skills, where your character is, which actually makes sense thematically. Again, I skipped over themes. So the theme of this is your necromancers, whatever, in Victorian London, trying to destroy Victoria London. Uh, you know, if to 
to give it a sort of a magic, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering concept, it would be like if any of the creatures you cast can attack any three battlegrounds, but the actual sorcery spell cards that you're casting yeah. can only be cast at one location because you are at that location. And that's yeah, sort of that's how, how it comparison. works compared to magic. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the action phase, of course, is the big part of the game where players are going to put cards into play, gain energy, move your units around. Uh, there's a series of actions you can choose. Channel energy, really simple. You gain two energy, mana, whatever you want to call it. Meditate, draw two cards. Now, this is important because unlike 90% of these games, you do not draw cards or refill your hand at the start of your turn or at the end of your turn. The only way to get more cards is take the medicate, meditate action. Or, of course, this is an exception-based game. There may be cards that say draw more cards. All right, cast a spell. Spend energy to put a card in play. Every card has a cost at the top left. Now, what's interesting here compared to many of these games is there's no different types of mana or anything like that. If the card said it costs five, you spend five energy put into play. No worrying about land or different mana types. Activate a power. Some cards, including your character domain and lineage cards, have powers on them. You use these powers, you have to spend an action. Uh, reinforce. This one's important because there's different battlegrounds. When you play your minions, they each get played to a different battleground. Well, you may want to move them during the game. So you use the reinforce action to move or swap minions around the board. Uh, you're generally limited to move from one that's adjacent, but then some units have flying. Uh, so you can jump to anywhere on the board. You just keep going back and forth until each player has taken six actions. So I'm sure many people will see some real and unsurprising similarities to Magic. Really, anyone who's got some time playing Magic or any dueling magical card game will be really comfortable playing this game. Next, we get to battle. So battles, your battlefields are resolved one at a time. It's based on player order. I'm not going to get through that now. But you're basically going to go to whatever battlefield you're resolving. The active player is going to choose one of their minions to attack. When they do that, they tap the minion so it can only attack once and it can't be used for anything else. You're going to look at their powers. So similar to Magic, there's two stats with a slash, though they work very differently in this game. So like a power and a defense in a way. You're going to look at the power. You're going to roll a die for every power. The omens I mentioned before, which are tracked by little counters, can be spent to re-roll dice. So there's your, your randomness mitigation. You spend one omen per die. Plus the first player token can be flipped to re-roll all your dice. Um... The order of who gets to re-roll first doesn't really matter at this point. I'd cover that in the full review. But the important thing is you're looking for those skulls or those pentacles. Damage is placed on a minion or a site, and you're going to place one damage for every skull, and you're going to place one damage for every pentacle, which are the crits. What's neat here is the skulls are assigned by the defender, whereas the crits are assigned by the attacker. So that's an important part of the play. Now, damage goes on a minion or a site. When a minion's damage hits its defense, that's that second number. I think it's called their spirit. Again, terms, all these card games have their own unique terms. It's removed from play. Once a site takes 12 damage, though, the team that caused the damage wins the site. And you actually flip it over, and it shows a burning section of London now, or a burning demonic, whatever the heck that thing is. And that player now either needs one more site to win or just won the game, because it was the second one they claimed. You just attack back and forth until all the minions have attacked. Then you go to the next battlefield. You do it again. Uh, then there's the end of round section. This just exists because some card effects happen at the end of the round. Now, with this is your usual... It's a dueling card game. This is an exception-based game. Which means those are the basic rules. And the cards are probably going to break those rules in some way. 
what I've listed above is the basics. Things are going to change based on one thing. So like each different lineage that you pick actually gives characters asymmetric powers and makes them completely unique. So in the base game, one of the characters can steal cards from the opponent and place them onto their minions as arthropod followers. And they have all these bugs all over them, which gives the cards with the arthropod followers a bonus power. Another character is a necromancer who can bring cards back to life and into play from their graveyard which is their discard pile so that's just an example of two of the characters and how they play differently yeah so so far from my play i found the game cards really suit the theme well uh at least in the base and uh you're not stretching to figure out how this relates to the concept i mean you know with magic for example they've been putting out so many cards for so long you sort of wonder what does this have to do with anything but uh, they, you know, this is this is way more thematic, and they haven't had to delve into planes travelers in order to uh, justify all their concepts. <laughs> At least so far, if the game's popular enough, they'll probably get there. Well, they are putting out a lot of expansions. Pretty they early. are there. There were a lot because it was kickstarted, right? So there were already extra of the three main card types that that people could have got right away and extra lands and extra dice and extra stuff. And then they're putting up more and there's another Kickstarter, I think coming for even more stuff. Um, so the game is designed for two players. Very obviously it can be played with more. There are three and four player variants. You can play with just the core box. And technically the game can go up to six players, but in that case, you got to buy two starter sets or some of the expansion packs just because, well, there's only four characters, four lineages and four domains. So you buy one set more. Now you can play up to five. You buy another set, you can play up to six. We'll talk more about player counts later. Overall, Sorcerer is an excellent two player dueling card game that does some cool stuff. I haven't really seen before. Uh, the first though is the first highlight. The first unique thing is that deck building system. I really like that. The pick three different decks and mash them together to make your play deck. It reminds me of Smash Up, as I mentioned. What I like about this is it's a good middle ground between games where you make your own deck from scratch, like Magic, where I just tend to get overwhelmed by the options, or the opposite hand, where games like Keyforge, where it's like, here's your deck, you're stuck with this. I like that I have some choice, that I, I get to manipulate it and I get to try different combos, but I don't have to be an expert deck builder to enjoy the game. Yeah, I think this is something that comes from the non-collectible nature of the game, while still wanting to be, ex be able to expand the heck out of it. Uh, and it also adds to the replayability of the game because you can play it and you've got, even just with the base game, this, you know, nice number of selections. Um, I will say that it is actually in many ways sort of like Keyforge, but how they play Keyforge at the factory, because Keyforge is actually, each deck is made up of three components, right. uh, which is similar to how this is, uh, but... Uh, unfortunately, but you only... don't get to pick the component. No, no, like, well, that's what I mean. Keyforge is, is this is how they play Keyforge at the factory, yeah, because they're actually building those deck, those random decks, true, with three true. components uh, out there. See, Keyforge could have a totally different thing if you could just go up and buy the three separate different pick three of your want and mash them together okay. in the two games that work together. Fancy Flight should talk to White Wizard. I hope White Wizard copyrighted that. There you go. <laughs> uh, the next thing I really dig are the board game elements. Uh, they call this a hybrid board card game. I gotta say, it still leans very heavily on the card side of things. It's a card game with a board. But there are elements. The fact there are three location boards. Uh, the big one Sean talked about earlier, where you have to decide where your character is each turn, is a big ability. And while the whole rolling dice thing, obviously, is very much a board game thing compared to a card game thing. And I like of those, I really like the rolling the dice for energy ger generation. And the various dice based combat is cool especially because there's a way to mitigate it which is all about the omens it getting omens is actually fairly easy in the game 
and can really swing the tide of battle. Whoever has the most re-rolls wins often, which can be a big part of the game. And I like that you can mitigate how ran the randomness of the dice. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the omens are a key. Knowing when to use them and when to hold them back can make or break decision. Uh, and it's not just about targeting or defending, but deciding if your uh, power is going to be best used and where and which what minions might have emerged over here. Or if you want to do something to make them think twice about bringing minions out to a certain location. I got to admit, at first I was worried about the randomness of the combat system. But like we just talked about, many of the things I've seen over multiple games is that it... it it balances out, right? Like the random factor over the bell curves tends to work out pretty good. And there's plenty of things that mitigate it. Uh, this varies from actual minion abilities or all kinds of minion abilities to let you roll extra dice or make people roll less dice. Attachments, which are kind of like the Magic the Gathering enhancements that give bonuses or penalties. And then, of course, the importance of omens. Um, while luck has been a factor in every game, I've never felt that it got screwed by the dice playing sorcerer in any of the games i played like sure one turn or one battle or often the game will come down to one die roll and you fail in that one die roll but over a full length of the game and multiple plays dice have been just as much a bane and as a boon and tend to even out pretty much evenly yeah no absolutely i i haven't seen any um you know I, yes there's always the possibility that you could roll 41s in a row but you know realistically uh I, you know it doesn't seem to be an issue and even if you do that one roll, it usually it's fixed by the next roll, right? Like, yeah, I got obliterated this round, but next round when I was attacking you, you're the one that rolled the ones. So I don't know. It seems to it seems to go out. So I got to admit, people who don't like randomness in their card games are not going to like that aspect. Magic the Gathering is definitely more deterministic. Yes, there's random factors with which cards you draw, but the combats are very much deterministic, whereas they are not in Sorcerer. Now, most of what we've had to say has been very positive. Uh, despite all that praise, i got to say Sorcerer's not perfect. And the biggest failing it has is the fact that it's a two-player game. While there are rules for playing with more players, and I fully understand the folly of releasing a two-player game out in the board game industry in 2018 or later, uh, I in this case, they should have just stuck with two. While the four-player team-based game is okay, it's kind of fun, I really dislike the three-player version. And I got to say, every other person I played it with felt the same. Yeah, three-player was essentially broken. Four-player was two-player with teams. Three-player left one person always sitting there bored or ignoring what was happening so they could play on their phone. Or, you know, the game just slogged. It was at its best slow and at worst utterly uninteresting. It, it wasn't even a fun way to introduce someone new to the game, as it's the worst example of how a fun game is played. Uh, the actual, Even the actual turn resolution is overly complicated with three players, just showing how hard they had to try to make a three-player variant work. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it just shouldn't. You shouldn't play a three-player. Uh, maybe there's people out there who enjoyed it, but definitely not us. Now, the other issues I saw with Sorcerer, there are enough of them, but that's just because it's a two-player dueling card game. And these are things that, to me, are evident in all of these. Uh, for one, the player that knows the game and knows the cards is probably going to beat the player that doesn't. This is true of all these games. That's what these games are about. It's all about system mastery, memorizing your decks, trimming down your decks, and knowing the combos. The first few plays of this game, too, players are going to be lost. Because all of a sudden you're given a hand to seven cards and told, do something. And you're like, I don't know what to do with all these because I've never read them before. That's, again, true of every one of these two-player dueling card games. And that which also leads me to game length. 
when you got a new player and they have to read all the cards and they spend half the game saying, can you pass me that? Or oh, what's that guy's special ability? It can be a bit of a slog for the first time. Like, I'd, I'd say double the initial play time. Now, the true joy is, of course, discovering there's card combos and taking advantage of them. And that is, I got to say, a skill. Not everyone is good at magic or that style of card game. There are people out there that I know are definitely good at it. It may not apply to some, or appeal to someone who likes heavy euros or doing the math, right? This is a very different way of thinking about playing a game. But again, these aren't sorcerer specific. These apply to other, all two-player dueling card games. Again, experience with magic or similar games will help, but nothing but reading the cards will teach you the actual cards in the game. Now, overall, I think it's pretty obvious, self-evident here. I really dig Sorcerer as a two-player game. Now, personally, I quit playing Magic the Gathering quite a long time ago, but this might be the game to convince someone else to get out of the collectible card game rut, especially that whole spending money on it. Anyone who's complaining about it. If you can afford to play Magic and you enjoy it, go for it. I'm not trying to cut up collectible card games, but I know they can be a money sink for people. And what I like here is you're looking at picking up one box and you're good to go. Like this, in my opinion, is one of the best modern two-player dueling card games on the market now. There are others I like. Ashes is still fantastic as well. But right now, this is the top of the market. This is pretty cool. Ashes is still good. Star Realms is still good. But right now, if I had to pick between those three games, I'd be reaching for Sorcerer. Well, despite having a rather horrible three-player experience with this game, it was, as we played it, an obvious flaw. So I do hope I can get the real experience and enjoyable yeah. experience of a two-player game sometime and get that bad taste out of my mouth <laughs> for what is a really solid thematic game. Now, I forgot you hadn't played two-player. That's a, it's a, we, Again, we need an Excel file or something to list. <laughs> the, the board game menu, we'll put them all in, and then it'll decide what you're going to play next time you're down. All right, for a more in-depth look at Sorcerer from White Wizard Games, check out Mo's written review over at tabletopbellhop.com just click on Reviews. And now the Bellhops Tabletop, where we look back and summarize what's happened since we were last here. What games hit our tables? Every week, we like to take a look back at the games we played, any events we've attended, and any other cool gaming stuff that's going on. Well, this past weekend, Sean was in town down here in Windsor with... That, combined with a Bits and Boards event at Easy Mode, meant we got quite a bit of gaming in this past weekend. I made up for uh, missing out on New Year's and everything, I think, this time. So up first was Friday night. Since Sean was here, we decided to pause our regular Gloomhaven game and break out something else for the five of us to play. And that was Big Trouble in Little China, the board game, with the Legacy of Lopan expansion, which was just released last year. We grabbed this game because all five of us had played Big Trouble before. Uh, during We did an Extra Life with Tori and Kat. Sean, I think you played it during our launch party, which we live-streamed a long time ago. So you can technically catch this on a live stream somewhere, probably on video on demand somewhere. So all of us kind of knew the basics of how to play, but it had been a while. So it took us a bit to get up to speed because one of the funky things in this game is the way the dice work. They're just not intuitive. Like, it works. The system's fine, but it's not intuitive. Um, one thing worth noting, though, is we play five player, and the base game only plays four. So this is due to that Legacy of Lopan expansion I mentioned. The One of the, the, the two core things this does is allow you to play the base game with up to six players, which actually lets you have every main character in play at once, which is seems really cool for all the side quests and the different quests you can have up. But what we did is tried the other half of the expansion, which is a new scenario. Although they call it a scenario, I would say it's a mini campaign 
because it is a game that you play over seven acts, and it warns you right in the rulebook, you're probably not going to finish this in one game night. Yeah, indeed, seven acts, although we discovered that not all paths involved all the scenarios. We actually skipped a, a couple of chunks of it uh, through the choices we made as a party throughout the game. Yeah, and as far as I can tell, if you've played once before, you'll see those cues, and you have a choice. You can play through all the acts, or you can skip them, and it's all a matter of whether you want the reward or not, as far as I can tell. Um one of the things I, I got to say straight up, this expansion changes the game a lot. Um, I'm on record for saying Cities and Knights of Catan and Catan are two separate games. I'm almost I, like I can almost say that Legacy of Lopan and Big Trouble in Little China make them separate games because like it feels completely different. Using this expansion, you toss out all the missions. They're gone. There's no missions. There's no which way book. Well, no original which way book. There's a new one used instead. Um, all the side quests gone. The big trouble track that's also important for when the big battle happens, gone, doesn't matter. The big trouble cards that spawn minions every turn, gone. The crates, gone. You don't use any of that. The event tokens, the rewards, you don't use any of that either. It's all taken right out of the game. Like, I swear we put more in the box than we took out. There's like 75% of the stuff from the base game you don't even use while using this expansion. But now also you don't have to play with this particular right. scenario. We could have gone back to the original game, but had the advantage of playing with up to six players and some new adventure card, new tokens and new new bits to allow that and, and, and expand that original game as well as just having the extra players. Yeah, we, we easily could have just played the original game. In this case, we played the scenario. Playing the scenario is what made it feel like a completely different game. We could have just played the base game with um, a whole bunch of new side quests and a whole bunch of new characters. I don't think there were any new rewards, but there were new hells that were included. We, we could have played the base game with more people with some minor tweaks to it. Now, the scenario, though, turns the game into a story-driven game versus like a linear story-driven game. Filled with set encounters that you basically, here's your set encounter, you battle through the set encounter, or you make a couple skill checks, and then there's narration in between. Kind of reminds me like a D&D Adventures League in a way. While there are some decisions to make overall, the end path was always the same. So you'd like branch, but then you'd always come back at the end, which was kind of weird. It wasn't a true branching path. It was kind of like you take uh, the fork in the road, you take the left or the right, but eventually you're just going to get back to the same road. Now, I don't want to say too much about this game here. We do have more to say, but I, we are going to do up a full review, but I want to actually finish the campaign once. Um, I want to actually get to the, the final battle in particular. I want to see how that changes. But I want people to know that this, like, Legacy of Lopan does not feel like playing Big Trouble in Little China. It feels like you're playing something different. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it had its ups and downs in being so different. Uh, the original game wasn't all roses either. Um, so, you know... It, it sort of did sort of fit in in that way. Yeah, so this, it is, that totally different game is fun, warts and all. Like, warts that definitely, some from the original game and some from this. There were quite a few warts. Uh, the biggest that really kept recurring and frustrating people was a total disconnect from the story in the book and the narrative that was going on to what was physically happening on the board. Uh, though I do have to say, despite this, we did have a pretty good time. I do look forward to finishing the campaign. We're hoping to do that next month. Uh, it was a fun experience, but like I said, warts and very obvious glaring issues with some of the games. Yeah, all five of us were pretty dissatisfied and frustrated with the strong disassociation between the story in the book and what was happening on the board. 
Now, yeah. to be fair, though, there was some of this in the original game as well with quests. However, because of the linear nature of this and it involving the entire group, it was really sort of brought more into focus and more jarring as a uh, in this form. Yeah, agreed. And then uh, Deanna's in the chat also pointing out something else. It has a ridiculously high price point for what seems like a miniature game expansion, but comes with no new miniatures. Like, really, you're just getting a different storybook. Um, I, we'll talk more about this. This is a, a very different take on the game. It's still fun. I got to say the story was neat. The story was enjoyable. There was stuff to like, but it definitely had some bumps on the road. Yeah. Up next, the next morning, this will be Saturday morning after some amazing ramen. Uh, side note, for those of you here in Windsor, Eros Asian Eatery is now swapped over to a ramen shop. They're doing ramen all week long now. Assuming they don't actually sell out, which has been a problem, but Solon's working on it. Um, Deanna, Sean, and I sat down to Sean's first game of Terra Mystica. Now, we had set the game up the night before, and thankfully Sean found the time to watch some how-to-play videos, so I didn't have to go through the chore that is teaching Terra Mystica. Yeah, now unlike Mo, I'm not as much of a connoisseur of teaching videos and their authors. I just Googled it and tried the first couple that came up. Yeah. Uh, one, which was excellently produced and gave me some ideas to try content-wise on YouTube, um, it was a disaster of a teach, and I think I learned less than I did helping set the board up. Uh, now, luckily, the second try, while a more relaxed and casual video, was a solid teach and cleared up most, if not all, of my questions. Yeah, if we remember, we'll try to put that second video. We'll throw a link in the show notes. I'll have to get it off Sean to yeah, see which one he watched. Pull it off my uh, history. Uh, we played an introductory three-player game. For anyone that knows the game, this is uh, suggested armies and board set up with a... Uh, the scoring bonuses all set up in a set order. It's what they use for teaching. Um, I gotta say it was nice to play it again. I definitely enjoyed playing this again. Um, I enjoy this game in general, but it was nice to play the physical copy because it's been some time. I do play it online quite a bit, so it was cool to actually be able to, like I said, touch the game and play it. Yeah. Now, while I got my butt handed to me, it, yeah. I was playing with two full-time heavy gamers deeply familiar with the game. So all in all, I actually felt pretty solid about how I managed to hold my own through the game. No, I think it went really well. I, one of the things, we shouldn't have given you the Alchemist. I think the Alchemist, you kind of have to know when it's worth selling those video, the the, the victory points yeah, for money. Yeah. I think you should have had the Nomads or something, because I think that was part of it. Right. Now, the main reason we actually taught Sean Terra Mystica was so that the three of us could play it on Board Game Arena. So I am looking into delving into that online. Uh, it's probably going to be a bit, just because we're still, I'm still fighting a damn cold. Um, maybe once we finish our next game of... Uh, through the ages, we'll boot up a game of that. Or the next time the big far player game ends, we'll get all five of us go together. I know, I know Eric's looking forward to someone beating him, someone else beating him because he's like, I am absolutely horrible at this game, but I still have fun playing. Yep. Uh, so if you guys can ever finish a game, you do need to be healthy to finish them. So then I'll jump in. Yeah. I don't know when we'll get started, but we'll throw one up. We will, we will play it online. You get to see just how, how beautiful and rough it is on Board Game Arena all at once. Because it is both. It, it's it's a really well done, but man, it's rough sometimes to try to do some stuff. Right. So next, after Terra Mystica, we headed to Easy Mode for a Bits and Boards game night. I uh, started that off because there was almost no one there when we first got there with a four-player game of Gorinto. Uh, this is a prototype game I've got from Game Gamers Guild. I talked a bit about it last week. Uh, in this case, I just taught the game and watched but didn't play. This was your first experience with it, Sean. What'd you think? Uh, well, I, I really enjoyed the game. 
it was thinky enough for a quick game, and the mechanic it uses is unique unique to me for sure. Though I was noticing an issue with what was happening with player turns and how that impacted play. Now, with Garinto being played, uh, a few more gamers showed up, and I took this chance to break out Azul Summer Pavilion for the first time. Actually, I did almost did that bad thing. I was trying to read the rulebook quickly, and then as soon as I finished the rule, I, did, I didn't read it while they were sitting at the table, but while they were playing Garinto, I was like trying to get through Azul Summer Pavilion. Now, the night before, we're playing Big Trouble in Little China with Tori and Cat. And they're like, have you tried uh, some affiliate? And I'm like, nah. And they're like, ah, it's pretty much the same. It's Azul with a new scoring system. And now having played Summer Pavilion, I got to wonder, like, what what game were they playing? Like, were they using the right rules? Because I found it to be very different from the original Azul. Like, yes, you're drafting tiles from the center market. But even that's different. Because now there's wild tiles each turn. And each round, like, whenever you take... Uh, the color, the, the random color, you have to take one of those tiles too. And then the first player token scoring was completely different. So whoever takes that first tile from the center market now loses as many points as tiles you've taken. Like that's huge change score wise. That's a big difference. Besides, oh, I took first player and I lose one point. Like that's a huge change from the original. The other one too is that players, this is the one that just makes the game even feel different is you just keep drafting tiles until they're all gone, until all the markets are empty. And then you have this big pile of tiles next to your board, and then, then in turn, players start putting them on their board. And that's different, right? Like, it's just... And then, when you're putting stuff on your board, it's completely different. Here, you're spending tiles to place them onto these, like, flower patterns, and each spot requires a different number, either one to six tiles. And then there's bonus tiles you can get and like there's just a lot of little things going on now again i we only played it a few times that night i'm gonna be doing a full review then i'll feature what statues mean and what they matter and all that stuff but man it's it's different it's it's still azul i guess i'm still drafting tiles and putting them on a board but i, like I said tori and cat ktor i'm what game are you playing for it ah, it's azul with different scoring i say i dig it i i liked it quite a bit um i would say that it destroys stained glass of Sintra. Like, I don't even know if I'll ever play Sintra again, but I don't know if it beats the original Azul because the original is just so pure. If that's the right word for it, just so simple to teach and learn. And this is definitely a step up in difficulty. While it's not hard or complicated, there's just more going on here than there is with Azul. Now you played Suburb Pavilion later in the night. what do you think? So I think not surprisingly, I enjoyed it and definitely more than Sintra. <laughs> Um, I do need to play it without Sean Hamilton, not Sean from Hamilton, though, as it means I might stand a chance of winning in that case. I don't know what it is. He he is the the savant of Azul. Like, he's the one person in Sintra that built all the windows. I don't know. And he did it with this, too. Yeah. His strategy, supposedly, is to not play and just take what everyone leaves left over. And somehow you win. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, he is, Dee's he is mentioning just way in the, good. Dee's mentioning in the in the chat room, and I think she's right. It plays longer than the original Azul, and it's yeah. it's definitely what you were saying. Um, there's a a deeper complexity to it, um, yeah. whereas I find the original Azul part of its benefit was you could sit in a coffee shop and play it and drink your coffee and chat and still play it well. Whereas this, there's that little extra bit of focus needed. Um, yeah, I where, could see that. You know, and it's just, it also takes a little bit more space, I think. But uh, mostly, you just need to focus on it that little bit more than you do the original Azul. Yeah, it definitely takes more space because you have that central market now. Yeah. You don't have that with the base Azul. Yeah. 
Like I'm not, I'm not even talking about the markets. You get the tiles. Yeah, yeah. The scoring board. The with bonus. The, the bonus tiles. The bonus tiles. That's a, it's a significant size. That's it's one more board. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to fit. Yeah, at it's the players brewer. plus one. Yeah, players plus one plus the the market tiles as well. So I don't think it's going to work at the grow brew house at the up on the the private bench like <laughs> we played Azul on. All right, up next, uh, we both played a prototype of a combat system from local game designer uh, and bellhop patron Roger Malosh. Uh, he brought that out for us to check out. Uh, both of us played through this dice drafting mixed martial arts game and pro- offered our feedback. Um, I think he had some neat stuff going on myself, but did point out a few problems, brainstormed some fixes with him. We had actually had a really good conversation just about game mechanics during part of the night. Yeah, indeed. He was, uh, not wrongly, a bit concerned about playtime for this one aspect of the game. And I hope we were able to offer him some value insi- uh, valuable insights on how to increase the pace. Now, I'm looking forward to seeing how this evolves as time goes on, because it's kind of neat to see a game from the inception. He's got a lot bigger game planned around this. My only real frustration with it was I can't log my play on Board Game Geek. It feels like I didn't actually play it. <laughs> Now, you got in some more Gorinto at a different player count. I think you played with three, if I remember. Thoughts on that? Indeed, three. And this time it was uh, Sean Hamilton who noted the problems with player order. Uh, the player after start player, um, or uh, the player um, the player before start player, I guess, in the, you know, the last player, seems to have it rough. Um, and the more players, the more rough that person has. Um and in both players, in both games, once a player had the first player token, it never changed to anyone else. Now, that could be a player skill detail, since we're all new to this game, uh, since the lowest score is who gets the first player. Right. But it's hard to say with only two plays under my belt. Um, I would really like to have gotten it uh, two-player to see how differently that mm-hmm. felt. Um, overall, the randomized scoring card system really makes each game new and interesting experience though yeah it's see the first player token is supposed to be a catch-up mechanic so if the same player is ending up first player every time sounds like that's not working yeah because if they were catching up they wouldn't still be first player personally i saw it as it would be interesting to tank your own score on purpose just to become first player and i was wondering how valid that would be for one of the like one of the rounds right like you want to make sure in the the last season winter that you were actually in second because that seemed to be the big thing is, well, especially playing two players, is you wanted to be second more than you wanted to be first, but not too far behind that you couldn't catch up. Yeah. I personally, again, I didn't play either of these games. I didn't play the four-player game or the three-player game. So I'm looking forward to trying it out myself with different player counts. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, the the different scoring cards, you know, and you've got you've got your round scoring cards yep. and then your end game scoring cards. Um, I don't know if there was as much of a difference um, in theory, you should be able to do really well during the rounds and then fail horribly at the end or vice versa. And I don't think I was really noticing that. And again, I've still only had the two plays, but it's interesting. I I, I know what they're trying to achieve, Um, whether they're there yet or not. I'm not hundred percent sure. So the end game scoring is not supposed to be much. It's supposed to be like an icing on the cake kind of bonus. It notes right in the rule book, you will not be able to win just by doing end game scoring. Right. That the seasonal scoring is where your majority of points are going to come from. And the other thing is almost more of a tiebreaker. Right. So that, that, that's a definite intentional focus on the seasonal scoring versus the end game scoring, which I think I pointed out to Deanna when I first taught her, but I don't think I brought it up when I was teaching the game at easy mode. Right. 
All right, while Sean was finishing up Gorinto, I broke out for the first time Lost Cities Rivals from Thames and Cosmos. This was a review copy. Thank you, Cosmos. Um, I love Lost Cities. Lost Cities is one of my favorite two-player games of all time. Uh, we used to play it back when Deanna worked downtown and I lived in the West End. I would meet her for lunch and we played at the coffee exchange. Now, Lost Cities Rivals is an updated two-to-four-player version of the Rainier Nitzia Classic. Now, my first game was with the local gamer, Paul, and I gotta say it didn't go well. I gotta say, the two-player version of the four-player version of this two-player game was not nearly as good as the original two-player game. It was bad enough, I actually wonder why they didn't put three to four on the box. Because if you want to play two-player Lost Cities, you just buy Lost Cities. Like, it almost should just say, this is a three to four-player version. If you want to play a two-player experience, buy your other game. Because that's what it felt like. Uh, one of the main problems here is the main mechanic in this game. It's drafting combined with auctions. And auctions just don't work that well with only two people. They really need three people to be involved. Yeah, realistically, it's not an auction if there's only two people involved. It's a negotiation. That's a different... <laughs> it's a totally different feel. Like, you almost could just stop it and go, how far are you going to bid, right? Instead yeah. of going back and forth. Now, we did play a second time, uh, this time at the full player count, and I think it went great. But then everyone else seemed to be on it. So I actually wonder if I was blinded by the fact that it was just so much better than the two-player version. Because, like, Deanna, who is also a huge fan of the original, really didn't enjoy it. Like, I think she even used the term waste of time. So, now you played in that four-player game, too. What do you think of it? Yeah. So, I am I have to say I'm siding with Deanna on this one. I, I really wasn't feeling it. Though, now, I admit, I didn't know the card count and variables as well as I would have liked to at the start. And yeah. it might have been more enjoyable. So, um, I think the way this game can soar, the way it can really sort of get its its the biggest uh, deem or, or biggest uh, effort is if you've got a bunch of people who know the game and so they yep. know the cards, they know what is in the decks or what is possible in the decks and they are cutthroat card players. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got a, a full table of that, I think they could really enjoy this game. That wasn't at all what we were and what we were doing though. And so, yeah. and I think that's why it fell flat some. Yeah, I think everyone took it like, ah, it's a friendly card game, and it shouldn't have been, yeah. right? Like, I think we needed more focus. Yeah, we, we played it more like right. Bonanza than, like, that, uh, yeah. than Lost it's, it's a Rainier Nitzia game, right? Like, so, it, Sean's still fairly new to the hobby, but that's a name that means you are playing a math game. You are you are trying to do math, you're trying to memorize numbers, you're trying to remember what's been used and what hasn't. That's, that's a feature of his games for people who enjoy his games, and that very much was this. Like, it just... I, I personally, I want to try this again. Um, not with two players, though. Like, I literally have no... Like, that's a one and done. I have no interest in ever playing Lost Cities with two people again. Lost Cities Rivals with two people again. I will play the original. But I do want to try this with three players, and I do want to try it with four. Yeah, I, I think you know, four players with, you know, a group that knows all the cards. You know, and they know what's in the deck, and they know the yeah. probabilities. And they're willing to, you know, play hard. That's, it's, it's not a friendly game. It shouldn't be a friendly game. <laughs> now, our final game of the night was going to be Imhotep, just the base game to show it off to Sean because he hadn't had a chance to play it. But this got interrupted by a group of new gamers coming in. And actually, at this point in the night, man, did easy mode get hopping. It started to fill up with video gamers, which that's why we call it a bits and boards event, right? We got the tabletop gaming, but this is actually an esports lounge with a ridiculous number of high-end PCs, as well as consoles and big screen TVs and Twitch streams going everywhere and people playing, I don't even know, every video game under the sun. So this is normal.
normal to have a group of gamers come in, but one of them just got distracted somehow by Gokuku, and I don't know what caught his eye. So he goes over to the table with my pile of games and he's looking at it, and I'm like, hey, do you want to try the game? And the guy's like, yeah, you guys are playing something. I'm like, we haven't started yet. So we actually interrupted our game of Imhotep to teach a five-player game of Gokuku. Yeah, random college guy with an armload of Nintendo controllers, literally hesitantly showing interest was a friendly surprise. And I think we had all yeah. assumed, given the slow start to the night, that Gokuku would have stayed unplayed and on the table until we left. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I brought it just for this type of situation, right? And I gotta say, it went over extremely well, which I would say is not surprising. I've been advocating for this game pretty much since the first time I played it. Um, after our five-player game, so we taught this this new... I, I feel bad that I forget his name. But we taught him how to play Gokuku, and then he took it and brought it over to his own gamer group, right? His, his own table, and they started playing it. And to me, that's the fun part, right? Like, these, this is a group of four gamers. If I remember correctly, they had N64 controllers. Yeah. And I think they were going to play Mario Party together. And here they are taking a break. Like, they could have played. There was enough, you know, systems around for them to play. Not doing that and instead playing Gokuku and laughing and having a great time. And they must have played, like, five times. Yeah, the group of them continued to play Gokuku for quite a few rounds until they finally tired of it and moved on to Exploding Kittens. Yep. So they, they obviously had some tabletop gaming interests. So finally, we did get back to Imhotep, uh, played through a game, base rules. I think we used almost all A tiles except one B tile. I know I personally talked about this one enough. So what'd you think of Imhotep? You know, first time with it at the table and I totally see the appeal. It's a fun game. And with the variety of cards, there's just so many variations to keep it fresh time and time again. And last, I just want to know, this is your first time at Easy Mode. We've been talking about our new venue quite a bit. What do you think of the venue? Well, as I mentioned, it was a slow start, and that was pretty disappointing. I mean, it was a bunch of guys we probably could have played with if we were at CG Realm 2. Uh, but by the so end... it is worth noting, we did just have the worst snowstorm we'd had in Windsor that's this year. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> and last year, like of the whole season. Yeah. So I think that was part of it. Uh, but uh, by the end, the place was packed. Uh, I managed to run into an old school friend with John that I hadn't seen in 20 years or so over playing Villainous on one side. Uh, so, you know, it was uh, it was a fun night and, uh, you know, they had good coffee, too. So I, I can't complain. There you go. See, I did, I, that night, I, Roger Milosh was was taking care of me, so I didn't spend any money there. I, I do have to admit that my one complaint about the venue is the food. That's been our complaint since, since we started. Well, except the lack of AC the first time we went. I do wish they had better food options, but as for a place to hang out, like, that place got busy. There were people playing video games. There were people playing board games. We had hobby games. We had party games. There was some exploding kittens. There was monikers. There was, I don't even know, like, like I think even Werewolf got played at the one table. Meanwhile, we also had um, Scythe being played, right? Like, so if you want to talk about the Spectrum, a nice five-player game of Scythe going on there. So Yeah, that was a, that was that was a long game of Scythe. <laughs> they, they I, I warned them, they're like, yeah. it only takes about 90 minutes. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. Well, that was many hours. But uh, I also want to say, just uh, as a little touch, I can't talk too much about it, but uh, local gamer and game designer Tom Stone here in Hamilton uh, is developing a new game that I got to playtest for the first time, and I just got another notification earlier today that he's looking for another playtest. Uh, he's developing, basically, it's a, it's a Euro version of um, the federal Canadian federal election from 1997, which seems like an odd and very niche topic, but he's treating it very thoroughly, uh, and he's not looking for a, a huge, uh, you know, production run when it goes. He's looking for you know, five hundred count production run, 
Uh, and uh, he's really got some interesting uh, concepts with it. And uh, right now he's focused and he's doing it right. He's focused on gameplay. So your, your cards are handwritten and you can see where he's, you know, previous play tests have crossed some things off and moved on. Um, and uh, the same with the board, you know, it's there and it's functional, but it's he hasn't and he's sizing it and planning for sizing for how it's going to be packaged and, you know, print runs and things like that. But uh, it's very much at this point still a handwritten game because he needs to be flexible and, and work with each playtest. Um, and so that was enjoyable. And I'm looking forward to giving it a try again. It, it, you know, as someone who's old enough to remember the 97 election pretty clearly, it was uh, it was an interesting uh, walk down memory lane for me. And I think a lot of history and poli sci, uh, you know, fans would really get a lot out of this one. Yeah, there's a there's a series of American games that are all about stuff like that, right? There's a making of the president and founding fathers and stuff like that, and they definitely have their fans. It's I personally stay away from the U.S. ones because I don't know enough about that time period. Whereas a Canadian one, I could see definitely appealing to people on this side of the border. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, now how about a look ahead? What do you have planned for the coming week? Uh, this Saturday, I am showing off Azul Summer Pavilion. We just talked it up quite a bit. We are going to be playing some Azul Summer Pavilion at the CG Realm. I welcome anyone in the area to stop by 5 to 10 p.m. to check out this latest Azul game. No, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, you missed it. This is on January 25th. And my kids are hoping to get the Minecraft game to the table now that it's taken up residence at my house. Yeah, I want to hear what they think. Yeah. I do want to hear what they think. I, I did not try that with my girls before they I gave it to you. I probably should have. Probably should have all sat down and played a four-player game with my girls so they could have tried it. But yeah, your your son is definitely more the Minecraft fan than, than my kids are. So Now, the Saturday after that, uh, which is the 1st of February, we are aiming for a rescheduled birthday party gaming bash. Uh, There's no local game night here on that night. There's nothing going on in Windsor, so we're not interfering with anything else going on. And everyone should, uh, must, better be healthier by then. I am really sick of the plague that has hit Windsor. I know it's not just us. Like, we have Cat works in uh, pharmacy. It's the whole city. Like, there, there was a strep breakout. There's this other respiratory thing going around. I don't know. It's, it's not like we're dying of the plague or anything like that. But still, it is really rough. Uh, lots of people have been sick lately. It better be cleared up by next Saturday. So we are hoping for a rescheduled Boring Gaming Bash, which should mean talking about lots and lots of games with lots of people. And now, a quick shout-out and thank you to some of our VIP guests. Our Patreon backers, we greatly appreciate their support. William Fisher, thank you. Danielle Thomas, thank you. She must have forgot again. She noted she forgot it was Wednesday last week. Well, we she's also, I know she's, been, I know she's been working and, and keeping busy yeah. at work, so. We miss you, Danielle. Sean P. Kelly, thanks, Mr. Conductor. Woo-woo. Andrew Dacey, thank you. Diane Tuzano, thanks, Ma. Well, that was the double bell. That means my shift's coming to an end, and we're going to have to lock those front doors, and as Ryan would say, drop the portcullis. Though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us across the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Drop by our website at tabletopbellhop.com for more gaming content. If you dig the content we're providing and would like to support our continued efforts, please consider tipping the bellhop at patreon.com slash tabletopbellhop. Remember to join us here on Twitch every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern and watch for the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast to hit your podcatchers and YouTube at 2 a.m. Eastern every Tuesday. You can also catch the Bellhop's Tabletop Twitch Friday nights at 8.30. Well, that about wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. 
For those of you here live, thank you for joining us, and be sure to stick around and join us in the penthouse suite for the after show. For Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you, and, and game, game on. on. Graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG & Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. 